This is an eavesdropping conversation. I am Juliet Fraser and today I'm talking to Winnie Huang. Hello Winnie. Hello Juliet. It's really nice to speak with you. Where, where are you today actually? Currently I'm in Italy taking a moment to make some recordings for eavesdropping. Great. And uh, other side projects. Yeah. Okay. So I thought I'd start by asking you, how do you describe what you do? Mainly, I'm a performing violinist and violist, but in these recent years, I've become much more entangled kind of in the world of gestural performance, uh, gestural performance viewed from a very musical perspective uh, with some theatrical aspects. So I've chosen to call these kind of works or these kind of performances uh, musical gestural works. Mm. They feature very uh, physical elements in their performance. So they need to be viewed and they can't be just listened to on a CD. They include action and movement. And normally they're highly detailed by the composer. And they've been specifically chosen these gestures by the composer for their visual aesthetics. So this kind of performance normally explores different states of activity and passivity. And the idea is to deliver a performance that is multisensorial as a form of communication and expression, not just for the person making it, but also for the people watching, listening to it. Mm. And how did you discover this world of gestural performance? Mm. I started an ensemble over a decade ago in France called Sound Initiative, and it's a contemporary music ensemble. And we're very lucky to be um, all very different people, mm. interested in different things, and uh, very lucky to be wanting to work with younger composers, which led to certain composers kind of uh, experimenting or initiating the idea of using movement or gestures to be just as important as the sounds that they are asking from us. I see. And for some reason, I found myself to be the one always attracted to those pieces and kind of put my hand up to do them. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so more and more, uh, I guess I was more intrigued by that. And then um, due to an odd chance, I auditioned for and I got a position to perform Inori by Caroline Stockhausen, which was an incredibly gestural work. Um, most of the time they're looking for dancers or perhaps um, any specialists of their body, but are able to read detailed notation to perform the work. So I was very lucky in that for some reason I had enough skill sets mm. in that movement aspect. And also as a trained classical violinist, I had the musical skill set and was able to do that, which was a 16-month production. Oh, my goodness. Um, which changed my life completely and changed my perspective of how to understand sound production from a physical perspective, almost to inhabit sound. Uh, because that is what's required of you in terms of what the message is trying to deliver as a piece. Mm. And then during that whole time, I was very intrigued with uh, other collaborations I was that already existed in my life due to ensemble work. So working with people like Jesse Marino, uh, Charlie Strowledge, Colin Roche, we kind of um, fed off each other and uh, really enjoyed the idea of making more works that were linked to using your body 
as the instrument as yeah. opposed to a trained uh, specialized Western classical instrument as your instrument. Yeah, that's yeah. quite a shift. Totally. It was for me a kind of um, a moment in my time where I felt incredibly nourished by the people I was working with and also the projects I was working with that were all linked to physical experimentation, but also um, expression. Mm. I'm interested in that shift, I suppose, into, well, it's not that performing on the violin or viola isn't embodied, but I suppose it, it, um, it's focused much more on that sort of embodied performance. Mm. I know that your doctorate looked at musical gestural works and that you're as you've said, that you're, you've been busy commissioning a repertoire of works of that kind. Can you articulate what it is really that, it, that so excites you about this particular form of performance? Completely. It's basically as simple as it's, uh, for me, an all-encompassing way of giving artistic expression for myself. Very selfish. Just, <laughs> I just love being free to express, you know, mm. um, it might be some secret, hidden, frustrated, frustrated actor or dancer <laughs> in me that was never truly discovered or allowed to blossom in my youth. But in reality, it's just the idea that we are all such expressive beings, you know. So what, isn't that great when we can add more than one element to how we express and combine it together? Mm. You know, it's, it's like making an awesome soup even more awesomer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I feel like... I, I love it or it excites me because I get to incorporate more of what I love doing. And it might be a sheer aspect of feeding my ego, but also to be doing it with other people. Mm. Uh, it's more than that. It's an exchange. It's mm. a conversation with like-minded people or perhaps people who have very uh, different perspectives, but are open and curious enough to discuss that and negotiate that with me. Mm. Is there a sense of liberation from the classical training for you? Originally, yes, completely. Now, if anything, I'm so grateful for my classical training. It helps me clarify ideas. It helps mm. me communicate ideas better because it is a language that I get to speak that is the same as other artists because we spent so much time being educated in it. And so it gives us some form of structure or some form of concrete understanding before we jump into things that perhaps we haven't spent so much time examining. Yeah. Yeah, I understand that. I know you're also composing these days. How has it been to make that shift? from being an interpreter or primarily being an interpreter to now to also being a composer? Yeah, um, I still find it very difficult to use that term. I'm not completely <laughs> at ease with it yet. Is there but, imposter syndrome going on that we all have to take years to get over? <laughs> absolutely. I'll, I, will, I, will, I will claim that term when I feel comfortable <laughs> enough. Um, when I used to mainly play violin or viola, um, I use the word translator a lot mm. in my self-identification. That's how I viewed myself. And so I can definitely say that that is no longer the word I'm happy to use. I'm no longer a translator of someone else's speech or text yeah. or monologue. Um, 
So I do know there is a shift within me. What that is, I'm not totally uh, sure of yet. But the idea of identity, whether it's self-identifying or other people identifying you or the need to identify for the societal benefit, um, that's always been a very interesting concept or idea for me. So it's something I kind of uh, delve into every now and again to see how I feel about it. Am I comfortable with it? Change a few words if I feel like it. Choose not to deal with it. You know, um, I think I'm I'm most grateful for the opportunities that other people have given to me, and that's allowed me to feel more comfortable with certain identifying factors. Uh, I know uh, Frauke Olber. She gave me the opportunity and pushed me to compose. Yeah. Uh, Jessie Marina also does this with me, and and I'm so grateful to these women for having. Uh, challenged me that way yeah I'm struck by these references to collaboration with the performers that you worked with and also the the relationships that you've just mentioned with with um, other women who've given you opportunities for agency if if you like to change your path a bit I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this question of community or um, or networks or something like that I think it's incredibly important uh, for women to stand with women and work with women. Mm -hmm. um, it's still something that is uh, less experienced than the norm for me. Um, and so I am so encouraged by and so uh, overwhelmed with joy when I get to work with more uh, strong-minded, independent women uh, who support other women. Yeah. I'm so in awe of them for taking that courageous step to making that choice. You included. I mean, <laughs> it's incredible. I, I find it... Um, very sad to see that uh, although the world is changing, that there are there is still not enough women in positions that hold power. And in reality, until we have more, we won't be heard as much. And so I hope that I take advantage of these opportunities I'm given, and I hope to create m many more of these opportunities for other women. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a subject that's very close to my heart. And it's definitely something I see as a possible change in the dynamics of how things are working or how they run, but it is still so slow and um, we have so far to go. So um, I think the phrase in giving we receive, I definitely feel that when mm. I work with other women. Mm. Yeah, that's a good motto. Yeah. Um, thinking about community, to do a really tidy segue, <laughs> you are one of the special guests this year presenting at the symposium, the topic for which is the sounding body site of trouble and transcendence. Without telling us precisely what you plan to, to share with us in that, what is your take on this topic? Hmm. Ultimately, the body is all we have as in our body is all we have. Um, 
there are different opinions on that. I'm sure we might have many lives or many bodies or many types of experiences. But from my perspective, all I have is this physical being that I'm kind of locked in or rather it is who I am. So in some ways, it really celebrates that other kind of catch or that other concept of that um, all the freedom you have can only be excited by the limitations that you get. <laughs> and so my limitation is my body. So what kind of freedoms can I create with it? And what kind of truths can I create with it? And I think the subject of this, the body being site of trouble and transcendence, it is these limitations or rather these troubles that allow us to search for different ways of transformation and different ways of transcendence. And um, the sooner I acknowledge, past tense acknowledged that, or future tense, I will acknowledge different limitations, the easier or rather the more um, engaged I am with what I do and what I make. Mm. Um, so I feel that the subject is incredible because it is a celebration of all we have. And it's uh, almost like a challenge to see how courageous are you to work with what you have and to go as far as you can with it. And then to go even further because <laughs> in collaborations, you are given new ideas and given new outlets and to see things that you never saw were possible. Uh, it's almost like, um, someone might allow you to see a color you never thought was visible or a nuance in a color that was never visible. And it's an opportunity to explore that with the limitation of this body. Well, that's beautifully expressed, Winnie. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> um, finally, I'm wondering what, what we might expect to see or hear actually in your performance on the 23rd of April. Um, I think I'll be performing three different works um, and uh, they all explore different concepts or different themes that I've been thinking a lot about over the course of some of them my life and some of them since the pandemic and some of them rec very recently um, ideas of what is sexuality, what is identity, what is beauty, uh, what is it that society sees from me, what is it I want to project to the society, uh, lockdown things, bread making things, we all <laughs> did sourdoughs, um, uh, anthropomorphistic hand octopuses, um, <laughs> just lots of different explorations of what um, has been going through my mind, both in the most banal ridiculous, fun pop culture, and also in things that perhaps are a bit more um, traumatic and serious concepts mm. like that. Uh, they're all going to be my own works. Great. Um, yeah, some of them at different uh, levels of work in progress, and some of them uh, I thought was finished, but then I decided <laughs> to make some more. And some of them, I believe uh, that's probably as far as I'll go with that piece. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. I'm particularly excited that they're all, all by you. Oh, I thought it would be a good opportunity to take the opportunity you give me <laughs> and uh, work with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I look forward to hearing and seeing those a lot. Um, I just thought of one extra question, actually. Um, 
which is about this this sense of play. Um, you're obviously interested in bringing some levity or humour into quite weighty topics. Um, can you tell me a bit about about why and how how that works for you? Um, I'm not sure truly why. Mm. I can just say that um, I love comedy. I love levity. I love pop culture. I love lightness. I love light yeah. entertainment um, shows. <laughs> um, I think it's such a basic part of human uh, personalities and also behavior that we can't ignore it. Mm. We all love laughing. It brings us together. It's such a kick of endorphins, but also a kick of recognition, a feeding of the ego, I guess. Um, I mean, I guess another side of me is that I would have loved to be a stand-up comedian. So <laughs> I don't know. I think it's very important for me to have humor in what I do, even when the subject is serious, or even if the way I'm meant to perform it is serious, there is humor in my mind, mm. um, in my own narrativity of what I'm trying to do. Mm. It's incredibly important to me. And I think it's incredibly important to most of the world. Mm. Winnie, thank you. Um, I've loved hearing thank your you. thoughts on all these topics. I know you have so much to contribute as a thinker and as a maker and a performer, and it's a, a great privilege to have you featured in this season. So thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for creating this platform. And thank you for inviting me to do all these awesome things. I really look forward to participating in the whole week. Um, well, we look forward to witnessing your performance on the 23rd of April and then hearing your thoughts about the sounding body on the 24th of April as well. Thank you very much, Winnie. Thank you.